0: touch with his creation. He is a person. He has a personality. He has feelings. And he expresses himself to us, his creation, in many different facets, many different ways. But relationally, we see him as a father. We see him as a friend. We see him as a comforter, one who dwells with us. We see it in the picture of parents and children in that kind of relationship. We see it just in our interactions with our employers, with our neighbors. And that's what he's conveying in the latter part of Ephesians. But I want to look at one aspect, which to me is the greatest earthly relationship we can have on earth outside of God. And that's in the context of marriage. So in Ephesians 5.22, Paul is giving instruction to wives and husbands, but what we're going to see is he's really talking about something much bigger. And I guess what I would call my message today is, made for a greater love. You were made for a greater love than whatever other love you're looking for. And we all do it. We all look to something else but God. But you were made for Him. You were made for a greater love. And every single person in this room longs to be loved. Every one of us. It's it's in our DNA. We were created to be loved. And we all crave it. The problem is, most of the time, we're looking for it in the wrong place. So he starts off here in verse 22. And I'm not going to really get into marriage and the roles and all that. I just want to read this with the idea that Paul is speaking of something greater. And he's giving us a picture of it in the relationship between a husband and a wife. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So it starts off with a word we don't like, submit. Right, wives? We don't want to hear that. Submit. But really, think about it, if this wife is married to someone like Jesus, why wouldn't she want to submit, right? And so husbands, you're supposed to be like Jesus to your wives. But the real picture here is, you know, a wife that submits to her husband understands that when she does that, he's able to protect her, care for her, be what he's supposed to be to her, what God designed him to be. When she doesn't do that, she's just hurting herself. There's a positive aspect of submitting, especially to God. And that's the whole point here. What a foolish thing when we don't submit to God. That the whole problem with mankind and what we did in the garden. Why? Because he's the Savior of the body. That's why. In other words, like I said, the well-being of the wife depends on our husband, just like the well-being of our souls depends on him. And when we don't submit to Him, we're forfeiting or we're allowing the well being of our soul to be in jeopardy. It's a very, very foolish thing to not submit to God. Jesus loved the church, or the Father loved the church. And when I say church today, I want you to think of a bride. I want you to think about called out ones. I want you to think about every single person that has ever put their faith in Christ. That's what the church means. The church isn't necessarily us here today, even though we're a local body. We are a representation of, a, of His body, where He's the head. But there's a universal church. There's a church made up of every nation, every tribe, from every generation. And one day we're all going to be in heaven together. Worshipping Him at His throne. Doing what we were made for. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but just the thought of it brings joy to my heart. Now, He gave Himself, verse 26, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by word. And again, it's a picture now of And I'm going to get into this in a little bit here, but basically our need for cleansing. And that God has made a way for us to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. God's desire for us is for a people that He could set apart, cleanse, make white, just like a bride would make herself ready for the wedding day. Right? She's going to put makeup. She's going to get a white dress. She doesn't want any blemish. Nothing. Well, God is in the process of cleansing, of purifying, a people for Himself. That's why He saves us. He doesn't leave us the way we were. He gets us dirty. But His promise is, I will cleanse you. I will clean you up. I will wash you with the water of My Word. And husbands should be doing that. Titus 3 says this about our before and after. It says in verse 3, We ourselves were also once foolish, not submitting to God, disobedient, deceived, not understanding what we were made for, going after all the wrong kinds of love. Deceived. Serving various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Hateful. Hating one another. But, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Jesus. Not by works of righteousness. In other words, it was nothing we did. God did it when we were His enemies. He chooses to love. Because part of His nature is God, is love. It's what He is. It's what He does. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. He saved me. He saved you. Through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace we should become heirs to eternal life and that's what the first three chapters in Ephesians tells us about and what I want to do is I want to get this in your minds you need to go home and I want you to go through the whole book of Ephesians because it's going to mean more to you after what God has to say to you today You need to get over that whole book yourself. You need to remind yourself what God has actually done for you and how it affects your life and all of your relationships. Verse 27, he says, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but but that she should be holy and without Blemish. That is God's goal. That is what He is in the process of doing. That's what He does when He saves us. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says in verse 2 I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ, a glorious church. A church full of honor, a church full of splendor, a church full of beauty. It's the idea of shining, like I said, probably like a a bride on her wedding day. Beautiful, all made up, clothed in white. He's going to have a pure and spotless bride. encouraged me this week. He used a passage we'll be looking at in a second in Isaiah 49. He basically said, I am going to have a church. I am going to do what I said. It doesn't matter what things look like right now. It doesn't matter how any of you feel right now. He knows how to make you into what He has already purposed and predestined you to be. And He wants you to simply believe Him for that. He will have a pure and spotless bride. There is going to be a church, a remnant, that comes out in these days that are pure and spotless, that are ready, that are prepared like a bride for their bridegroom. Goes on in verse 28. So husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does His church, His bride. Just as the Lord does. And it really, that that word nourishes refers to food or whatever is needed to grow to maturity. I've been watching these little birds in my chicken coop. Some bird made a nest inside my chicken coop, inside one of the egg Uh, whatever you call them, boxes, that I covered up that has a little sliver open. Well, the mom got in there and laid some eggs, and now there's chicks in there. And I was sitting the other day watching her, or him, I don't know, I asked Patches the other day. I'm a little confused on it. There's certain breeds that the mom and dad feed them, but let's just say it's the mom. Um... And she goes back and forth all day. And you can see the worms in her mouth. And she's nourishing. She's feeding those little birds. They're big now. I can't believe... I looked at them this morning. They're big. They got feathers. They look like they're ready to go out and fly. And it's a picture. You know, you could look at creation. And it's amazing. If God so closed the fields and is mindful of the birds, again, He's expressing something to us. Why? He created us. And when He redeems us, He's going to nourish, He's going to cherish, He's going to give us everything we need so we can grow into what He's created us to be. Because we're members of His body, of His flesh, of His bones. God really spoke to me about that. You know, in Genesis 23, it says about Adam when, what did God do? How did he make Eve? Right? He says, I got my rib, right? You heard that expression. He took a rib out of Adam and he made Eve. Why? Because God said it's not good for man to be alone. I made him to be relational. So he made Eve out of the man. And that's what this is saying in verse 23 in Genesis 2. Now, he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So, again, that is the most intimate union we can have on earth outside of God. And that's what this is expressing. But I want you to think about it for a minute, because in First Corinthians 12:27, Paul says, "Now you are the body of Christ." Speaking of the bride, he says, "Now you're part of his body. You're members, individual. you're a spiritual body, a house being built together in one." And then he goes on, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And now he says it. This is really what I'm talking about though. He says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he's expanding it now. And and God wants to expand this now in your sights this morning. He's speaking about you and your relationship with him. He's speaking to you as a bride, as the bride of Christ. He's speaking to you, if you're not a bride, that he wants to betroth you. He wants to join his life to you. He wants you to understand what you were created for, because you were created for a greater love. The mystery of the union of Christ and believers is represented in marriage. And that's something Rose and I try to convey. To couples that were counseling, that your marriage is so much bigger than what we make it so many times. It really is supposed to be a representation of Christ and the church and the relationship that has been restored by God and his people. So, I want you to think about this. Just as Eve was taken out of man. I want you to think of creation because it says we were made in the image of God. Somehow, God took a piece of Himself and He made man. We were made in His image likeness. And I'll explain what that means in a little bit. And so, we're not complete without Him. And we chose to separate. We got it in our heads somehow that we could exist without him. When we were made for him, we were made from him. And somehow man got in his head. He was deceived by the devil in the garden that he could be somehow independent of God and live his life apart from the relationship he was designed to live in and find his satisfaction and everything he needed. And ever since then, man has been groping in the dark, looking for that love, not understanding what this ache is inside that they can't fill, that they try to fill with so many other things. Not understanding they were made for something greater. I remember living that way. Groping in the dark, looking for anything that would satisfy and quench this ache in my heart. Just wanting to be loved and know that I'm loved and that my life matters. That there's meaning and purpose for my existence. But we know mankind deserted the marriage. We rebelled as children. We disobeyed our master. We didn't honor or respect him. We went after other lovers. But yet, he remembers us. He remembers us. And that's where the Lord spoke to me the other day. And it's in Isaiah 49. And he's speaking to the children of Israel. They're in captivity. And they've been there for a long time. And they're there because they sought other lovers, they forsook their God who was wanting a relationship with them. So they're sitting in captivity and they're wondering, has the Lord forsaken us? Has the Lord forgotten us? And the Lord's reply to them is, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Now, it doesn't just say, can a mother forget her child, her son, her daughter. No, it says a nursing child. That's a big difference because, you know, we can get older and mom can forget about us at some point. You know, especially if... uh We're not a good child. Maybe they want to forget us. But a nursing child? Can a mother forget a nursing child? You see the picture God is giving to us of just how much He thinks of us. Just how much He thinks of us. He hasn't forgotten you, His church. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten all who still need to know His salvation. That's why we're all still here, because He's long-suffering. He's waiting for others to turn to Him. He's waiting for others to be reconciled to Him. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So He waits and waits and waits for anyone to turn to Him and receive what He's done through Jesus Christ so that we can be reconciled back to Him. You and I were made for a greater love. We have this longing inside. You hear it in testimonies. I think about Glenn's testimony sitting in a park, just miserable, lonely, and God just showing up and basically letting them know you're loved. There's someone who loves you. You matter. I remember when he intervened in my life. Maybe some of you remember. He loves me. He knows me. Read Psalm 139. It's a wonderful picture of just how much he knows you and cares about you. So you and I want to be loved. It doesn't matter who you are, how you were raised, what's happened to you in your life. You want to be loved. I'm not talking about some superficial love that has limits. I'm talking about someone that knows every single thing about you. The stuff you would be horrified if someone knew about you, but yet it doesn't even alter one bit how much he loves you. That's the love of God. That is the love of God. Because He knows us far more than we know ourselves. He sees everything. He sees the intentions, everything about us. But yet He loves us. He wants us. Why? We were created to dwell in His love. Again, he made us in his image, which means really we were made to resemble God. That doesn't mean we look like him. God is spirit. So it's not necessarily that he looks like us in the flesh. It's the spiritual qualities, the unseen qualities. It's, It's the ability to reason. It's when a person can draw a beautiful painting or name their pet. Animals can't do that. It, it's the free will to make choices. Animals can't do that. I love my dogs. I love my animals. But I'm sorry, they don't have emotions. They, they mimic things. They learn things, yeah. But they can't reason. They can't create. I can't put a, a little thing in front of, you know, my dog Eli and say, Eli, make me a painting. They're animals. And when they die, they're just going to go back to the dust. Although, I believe God, maybe, just seeing the desires of our heart, might let me see my dog in heaven. I don't know. It would be nice. But that's what it means. Mentally, we're rational. We're a free will agent. Again, uh, morally, we, w- we were created pure. Pure because he's holy, and before the fall we were pure, we were innocent, we didn't know good and evil. And God looked at us and he said, this is very good. This is very good what I created. Socially, right, we were created for fellowship. And and it really reflects God's triune, or the trinity, that existed before creation. Because we know creation was... Spoken into existence through Jesus, the Son. They were there together, the Trinity, in fellowship. And God created man to enter into that fellowship that God so enjoys. But again, we know part of being made in God's image is that we had the capacity to make a free choice. And God, in His infinite wisdom, knew we would rebel, and he already had a plan to redeem us. He knew what was going to happen. Because robots can't love. You can't make someone love you. You have to choose, you have to reciprocate that love. And Adam and Eve believed a the lie. They made an evil choice to rebel against their creator. In doing so, the image that they were created, it got marred, it got distorted. That's what we see in the world now. It's all distorted. We see it even what they're doing in marriage. It's all distorted. Men with men. Women with women. It's all distorted. Because the enemy hates what true marriage represents. He hates it. So he does everything he can to destroy that image. And that's why we see divorce. That's why we see same-sex marriage. That's why we see the family attacked so much. Because the devil hates any representation of God's character and His original intent of love and relationship. Now, we still bear the image of God But we also bear the scars of sin and the fall. Mentally, morally, socially, physically, we we see the effects of sin. Looking outside for love instead of God Himself. But we know, right, that God, because of His mercy, God, because of who He is, made a way for us to be reconciled. John 3.16, right? We all know this verse. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, reconciled, brought back into fellowship with Him. When John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, and, and Jesus appears on the scene. I love what he says. He says this in John 3, 29. He says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So John describes Jesus as the bridegroom coming into the world, calling for a bride, looking for a bride looking for you, looking for me. It really is a mystery to me why Jesus, why God the Father would come to the earth looking for a bride for His Son. Knowing what we are. Knowing what we are. But yet, we see in Hosea a beautiful picture. And I I said this earlier. This is actually in chapter 11. Speaking of how God was pursuing His people, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of what Jesus did. Now, I don't know why, as, as I was praying early this morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to share your testimony today. And it kind of fits in here because I, I have some uh, Scriptures here from Hosea, and that's typically how I share my testimony because it is my testimony. I was a gomer. You all were gomers. You're going to see what I mean. Everyone's a gomer. In other words, gomer, what we're going to see was a harlot. She was someone that even though she was betrothed, married to this prophet of God, she was running around and seeking other lovers. Just like, he says, the children of Israel who look to the other gods. Go after the pagan worshippers. Do the same things those in the world do. Go after the same things. But yet there is God drawing them with bands of love, stooping to feed them, wanting to take the yoke, calling to them, come to me. Come to me. All you who are labor, all you who are heavy laden, come to me. I'm the one you need. I will give you rest. I'm what you're longing for. Now, growing up, I had an ache. I I was telling Patrick the other night, I I was miserable inside. I knew there had to be something more than what I was living. I knew there had to be some other purpose behind why I was born into this earth. And I couldn't figure it out. I knew there was a God, but I still, He was a far-off God that was unknowable. But He was there. But I didn't know how to reach Him. And it was a miserable existence. And so I went through all my teen years getting high, doing drugs, just trying to escape the reality of the misery and the hopelessness I was in. And it wasn't until I was 19, 20 years old that my oldest sister, Denise, went away to California and she became born again. And... I thought it was really strange, and I'd never heard that term, and she had her Bible and was telling me I needed Jesus, and I would just curse her out, like, you're weird, I don't know what happened to you, but leave me alone! I want to do what I want to do! I know what I need to do! I wasn't very nice, but you know how sin is, I got to the point, after a series of Incidents where I remember one night I wound up in jail. I had been maced. I was dirty. I'd been out for days. And, and I remember sitting in the cell that night thinking, so this is it. This is what my life is going to be. And I remember thinking, you know, well, maybe I could take my shoelace and tie it to the bars and just end it. I wanted to die. And I tried it a few times. with I would just try to take as much as I could. I'd go into convulsions. I'd come out of it. Ta- I just wanted to die. I drove my car into a wall one night. I just was miserable. But that morning, my sister came and picked me up. And in the book of Hosea, in chapter 1, verse 2, When God begins to speak to this prophet, He says, He said to Hosea, Go, and go take yourself a a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed harlotry by departing from the Lord. And all I could say was, that was me. And it was like God was saying to my sister, Go! Go, because I'm going to marry your brother. I'm looking for a bride. Go tell your brother! I want Him. And so she got me, and I got in the car, and she started telling me about this Jesus. And I listened for the first time. And I went to a meeting, a drug meeting at the church. And I prayed the sinner's prayer. I said, you know what, okay, yeah, maybe I need something. Okay, God, here I am. I'm putting my faith in You, God. Forgive me, I, I need You. That's all I knew. And I went to church. And I learned how to be a Christian, outwardly anyway. You know, okay, I'm around these Christians. I can't curse. I can't smoke. You know, definitely can't do drugs. And and the other things I was doing. So i got to start doing what Christians do. And that's what I did. At least when I was around Christians. But I was the same guy inside. I was still a harlot. And the same thing happened with this lady, Gomer. Even though he marries her, she's still running around. She's still playing the harlot. And in in, um, chapter 3, because of her harlotry, because of her running around, she winds up in the slave market. And Hosea hears about it, and he goes into the slave market and he pays to get his wife back. Talk about humiliating. A known prophet, holy man in the land, and he's got, yeah, that's my wife. How much? And all I can say is, after five or six years of running around on God, that's what he did to me. Because of my rebellion, because I just had to have what I wanted, I wound up stinking and dirty all over again. I wound up in the pig and I, I thought I had just gone too far. I thought God was done with me. But what's he do? He comes into the slave market and he says, she's mine. And he brought me back and that's when he brought me to Kentucky. And it says in there that he says to her, now you're going to stay with me many days and I'm going to show you what it's like to have me as your husband. And that's what God did. And through a series of, of things and ways that God made Himself real to me, all I could say is one day, I finally understood that I was made for a greater love. And despite all my harlotry and how filthy and dirty I was, He still loved me. He still wanted me. He still wanted to marry me. He still wanted to join His life to me. I could not fathom it. I didn't understand it. Why? Why me? I don't understand this. And the the simple answer is because I love you. I love you. And so I married him. I got my wedding ring to Rose and to Jesus. And all I can say is, I found a greater love. And what I realized is, this is what I was made for. This is what I was substituted all those worthless things for. And when you find that love, you just automatically change and, and want to be like Him and, and want to please him, want to be a good wife, want to submit to Him. Because you understand, I don't deserve this. I don't even deserve to be in the same house with Him. I don't deserve the riches. I don't deserve His affections after what I've done. But yet, He's always there. Loving me. Loving me. Wooing me. Calling me. I want you. I want you. Turn to me. It's amazing. God seeking His bride. I heard a story the other day or I read a story and it, 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 I just broke down crying. And it was talking about a mother's unchangeable love. And it says, uh, this is someone else, he says, as I was walking down our street the other day, I saw a woman, good and pure, refined, cultured, walking with a man whose face was red with drink, whose form and look bore marks of deepest dissipation. I stepped to her, saw and I said, Woman, why are you with this man? And she heated me a little at first as, as she supported his unsteady steps. Woman, why don't you just hand this man over to the police? And she drew herself up with a righteous, indi- indi- uh, indignant anger mixed with sadness, and she sur- said, Sir, I am his mother. I am his mother. And I, I first thought of my mother, who put up with a lot and never abandoned me. but how much more the Lord. And I just broke. And that that to me was a picture of me stumbling, still in my sin, and there's God trying to help me, try, stooping down, come on Jeff, come on. Just take my hand. Why are you fighting me? You're my son. I love you. I didn't design you to live this way. I've made you for something so much greater. Why are you choosing his death? Take my hand. Let me lead your life. You see, when we repent and we put our faith in Christ, we, get, we enter the process of being restored to God's original purpose, which again is to know him to be in fellowship, to abide in His love, just as Jesus and the Father abide together in their love. The book of Ephesians shows us the result of responding to this call. So for those of you that you've been reconciled, but maybe you just don't think about it enough, just the reality of what God has done for you, the sonship, the daughtership, the reality of being the Bride of Christ, how should that affect us? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 4, there, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness, with gentleness, with longsuffering, suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Further down, he says, This I stay there and I testify in the Lord. Don't walk like the rest. Don't walk like you used to walk anymore. In the futility of your mind, having your understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. You're not an alien anymore. You've been brought near to Him, you've been reconciled. Don't live like that anymore because of the ignorance that is in them, the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, you have not so learned Christ. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you heard Him and been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness. There's going to be three effects when you're brought near to God. The first one will be you'll just be humbled to the dust. Me, Lord? I don't deserve this. Who am I, Lord, that you would even be mindful of me. That's the first thing it should produce in us. An utter, utter brokenness and humbling of ourselves. Just falling at His feet. I don't deserve this, Lord. I don't deserve Your mercy. I know what I've been. I know what I'm like. I don't deserve Your mercy. But God, thank You! Thank You! I worship You, Lord. And just falling at His feet in my proper place before Him. And then next, happiness. There's no greater happiness or joy than abiding in His love. And Jesus said if we're walking with Him, if we're we're submitting to Him as a good wife, as a good bride, He says if you do that, You'll abide in my love, just as me and the Father abide in love. And your joy, it'll be full. That's why I want you to submit to me. Because I want your joy to be full, not to make you miserable. Like a slave to an unfair master. Happiness. The joy of abiding in His love and dwelling in His presence. In Thy presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. And then lastly, holiness. A changed life. He's not going to leave you the way you were. He's going to clean you up. Because guess what? He's going to have a pure and a spotless bride. And that's where the whole rest of Ephesians comes in. It's says like, okay, this is how I cooperate. This is how I let God... Purify me and cleanse me. When we're living in that reality of God's purpose for us, that we were made for love, to know, to dwell in His love, you know what's going to happen in your life individually, but also as a church? We're going to be the light, the effective witness that He wants to be. It'll show forth in your marriage. It'll show forth in your relationship with your kids. It'll show forth in how you conduct yourself at work in those relationships with your neighbors, with the people you live with, everything you do will be a witness to the world of what God is like and what it's like to be in a relationship with Him and find your joy and your happiness and and that nothing in this world disturbs you or shakes you. That somehow there's a peace about you that surpasses all understanding. Something the world just does not understand. And then you know what you're able to do? You're able to tell them where it comes from. Paul did it all the time. And that's why I felt led to just share a little bit of my testimony. Paul did it all the time. Let me tell you what I was. What God has done and what I am now, what it's like to to be in fellowship with this God, with my Creator, to know His love, to have purpose now, to have a living hope, to know where I'm heading, to know that this life is just a shadow of something better. And again, that's how it's all going to end. Guess what? You know where we're headed? To a great wedding. Revelation speaks of it in Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. Now I want you to understand, this city is people. This city is the church. This, pe- this city is uh, the saints of God. And, and he describes beauty and splendor and multitudes. That the city is so wide and so high because there's multitudes and multitudes. Because God wants his house full. And he's waiting and waiting until his house is full. And the invitations are going out and going out and going out to come to the wedding feast. He's inviting us all to the wedding feast. And then it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. Because that's what we've created for. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, for these words are faithful. Can a mother forget her nursing child? No. God's Word is faithful. Faithful. He hasn't forgotten. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Are you thirsty? Are you tired of drinking from empty cisterns that just don't satisfy? God's offering you living water. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. And, you know, that's just what's left. When you refuse this loving, merciful God that has gone to length to reach you, to reach me. What is left if we spurn that kind of love? Nothing but wrath. And that's what this is a picture of. Being separated from that love for all of eternity. Being isolated. There's no relationships in hell. It's a place of isolation, of torment, the absence of any kind of love. But yet, still having a desire for that love. That's the gnawing worm, knowing now in the reality that I forfeited that love for all of eternity for the fleeting pleasures of this life. The gnawing worm that'll never die. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and said, "Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife." And then he begins to describe this beautiful city. What beauty there will be in the presence of God! I was thinking about that. I love Colorado. I love going to the mountains. You could still see remnants of God's beauty and creation, even though it's fallen. There's still so much beauty. In the world, this is, there's beauty in His creation, in the animals. You can still see it. But what's heaven going to be like where, where all the curse, every, all death is gone? It's perfect, and God permeates everything, including us. It's kind of like now we're, we're tasting of His love, then we're going to be thrown into an ocean and just swallowed up in it. That's what we're headed for. Again, we only get glimpses of it now. And I'll finish with this one verse. But there shall be no means enter at anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I shared this today, and I, I believe God wanted to speak to those of you today who have put your faith in Christ to encourage you, to remind you of what you were created for, and to get over Ephesians and and get over other scriptures, so that you begin to live what you were created for—a greater love—and and that it will begin to express itself in your marriage, with your children, with your neighbors, at your job, because that's what you were created for, and we're heading for the ultimate. You understand, in heaven, there's no marriage, there's none of that. Why? We're married to Him forever. But there might be some here today. Your name's not written in that book. There's a book one day that God will open, and your name's either in there or it's not. And the only way your name gets in there is by admitting. I've rebelled against God. I haven't submitted to Him. I know what I am. I'm a sinner. I knew what I was. I knew what I was. I still know what I am. But I thank God for the blood of Christ that has cleansed me from all that sin and unrighteousness and continues to cleanse me. So there's only one way in. We we sang the song today. How do we enter in? By the blood of the Lamb. By repenting. By... By running to Christ and appropriating what He did on the cross. He died on the cross for your sins. He died so you don't have to spend an eternity separated from Him. He died so that today, now, you can know Him. You could be reinstated into that fellowship relationship that you were created for. And it's simple. Humble yourself. Come to the foot of the cross. Repent. Confess your sins to God. He's faithful and just. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it says He'll he'll put His Spirit in you. In other words, He'll dwell with you. That's the promise. Jesus said, if I go away, I'll send you a helper. My Spirit will come and live inside of you. You'll come alive. That's what it means to be born again. You'll awaken To the things of God, your eyes will be opened. And the rest of your time here, you'll find out the joy of walking and abiding in His love. Even though you suffer, even though you suffer, even though you still experience trials, there's something in you that says, like Paul, this light affliction is nothing. This is nothing. I know where I'm headed. I'm just tasting now, and Lord, I thank you for this living Oh Lord. And I want to tell as many people as I can, Lord, I want you to lose my life. Give me some invitations, Lord, to the wedding. I want to hand them out. I want to invite people to know what I know, to find what I have found. And there's no greater joy in your life than being that vessel that God can be glorified through. That's what he wants. So is anyone here today God is reaching out His hand to you. Doesn't matter where you are where you've been. God is reaching His hand out to you. You don't know Him. You don't know Him. You've tried everything else. And you've found it to be empty. Because you weren't made for that. You were made for something greater. God is calling you today. He's wanting to join His life to you. It doesn't matter what you feel like, how dirty you are. It doesn't matter. I was the worst of the worst of the worst. He scraped the bottom of the barrel for me. He's no respecter of persons. If there's anyone here today, you have to take a step of faith. It's the Holy Spirit. If there's something in you that's saying, I know this is true. I know this is true. I've heard this before. But I don't know what it means. I don't know if I'm able to do this thing. To be a Christian. All I've known is what I've known my whole life. Listen to me. Don't worry about that. Jesus isn't concerned about what you are right now. And He knows how to bring you from where you are to where He wants to bring you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. You're still breathing. So if He's speaking to you today, please, I'm begging you, God's begging you, don't leave this place until you are reconciled with God. I'm pleading with you. Paul says it's as though he pleads through us. So I'm pleading with you. Christ is pleading with you through this vessel this morning. Be reconciled to God. You don't know if you have tomorrow. If God is speaking to you, I'm inviting you to come down to this altar. Just come down in faith. Repent of your sins, confess your sins. Ask God to cleanse you and surrender your life to Him. Submit to God. And He will come into your life today. You will be restored in that right relationship with God today. Anyone here, anyone online that is listening today, God is calling you. Don't harden your heart if you hear His voice today. that Jesus died naked on a cross in front of everybody. He's just asking you to walk up an aisle. Lord, we thank You this morning for the voice that calls us, beckons us to You. I pray for all of us here, Lord, that have come to know You, that have entered into the relationship that You died for us to have. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded that You'd lift our sights higher, Lord, I pray as um, we get over Your Word, as maybe we get over the book of Ephesians, God, that You would give us a greater revelation, just like Paul prayed, that they would know the love of Christ, that they would be rooted and grounded in His love. I pray that for everyone here, Lord, that knows You, open up their understanding in a greater way, Lord, so that we can display that love in a greater way to those around us, Lord. And God, for anyone else, Lord, I pray that You would just hound them. You're the hound of heaven, Lord. I pray that Your voice would just continually ring in their hearts, in their ears. Lord, give them no rest, Lord. I know, Lord, You will pursue them to their dying breath, Lord, because You're merciful. And again, Lord, You don't desire that any would perish, Lord. But that all would come to repentance. So Lord, I pray You would grant them repentance. And I thank You, Lord. I know You want it more than I do, Lord. So I'm trusting You, Lord, to do above and beyond what I know to ask or think. In Jesus' name.